After months of anticipation, the 2023 regular season schedule will be revealed on Thursday night. Who are the Seahawks going to be playing in week one? And how many primetime games are they going to be playing? Rob Rang and I are going to tell you in our predictions today on our latest episode of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Wednesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks as always to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. One of the biggest unofficial holidays in the NFL calendar is officially upon us tomorrow. It was actually looking like they might have to delay the scheduling in part because the Aaron Rodgers trade happened so late and we know the Jets are going to get a million primetime games as a result, but they are going to be announcing all 18 weeks of NFL action on Thursday night. So we're going to tell you who the Seahawks are playing ahead of time. We'll get to some predictions coming up here in a little bit on the show. We're going to talk about Anthony Bradford, Seattle's new fourth-round guard, where he fits along the offensive line and as a potential day one starting candidate at right guard. And we're going to be joined by Locked On Bulldogs to break down Kenny McIntosh, Seattle's seventh-round running back out of Georgia. Let's get to our episode here it is brought your way by BetterHelp. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on a journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Visit BetterHelp.com slash locked on today to get 10% off your first month. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. With the 2023 schedule officially set to drop tomorrow night, the Seahawks will officially find out when and where they are going to be playing the opponents on their upcoming schedule. Now, Rob, we've known who's going to be on that docket since the season ended. We know the teams the Seahawks will be playing. We just don't know when. We don't know how the schedule is going to shake out, or do we? I think it's time for us to look into the crystal ball a little bit here and discuss who we think the Seahawks are going to be playing in week one, maybe look at some weird factoids that are going to emerge from this schedule as we see each and every year. But let's start with that season opener. Last year, there was so much drama with Russell Wilson coming back to Seattle. That was a perfect game to be on Monday Night Football in week one. The Seahawks didn't trade a superstar player this year that they're going to be playing against. So there's maybe not that natural pick for week one, but certainly some enticing potential opponents that the Seahawks could play to open the season. Yeah, I, I I thought about it from that angle as kind of that revenge angle, as you said, you know, the Russell Wilson and Denver Broncos a year ago. And I, so I immediately thought about like Los Angeles Rams and Bobby Wagner, um, and obviously as a divisional opponent, you know, that that just would increase the chances uh, of that, the possibility that that might be the, the very first game or the very last game of the season, you know, some type of significance in that regard. But there were two other games that really jumped out to me as well. And that was, uh, you know, a, a 
rematch of one of the most entertaining games of the year uh, a season ago, and that being a rematch with the Detroit Lions or a rematch with the New York Giants. Um, I decided to go with the New York Giants because as exciting as that that victory uh, over the Detroit Lions was, uh, the the win against the Giants, consider, you know, just remember that at that time that the Giants were really the biggest story in all of the NFL. I mean, Brian Dable was all the, you know, he was going to be coach of the year and of course what wound up interestingly enough um you know and uh you know and, and yet the Seahawks beat him 27 13 uh a game where, where Seattle absolutely surprised me with their victory but um really kind of firmly planted the flag as, as the Seattle was, a, was absolutely a playoff contender and I really think that kind of you know forced the uh certainly the people at you know 345 Parkway and in, 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 in New York uh the NFL office the NFL front office to kind of turn their attention a little bit to Seattle so I, I would not be surprised at all if that wound up being um you know just the opening day game for the Seahawks and again another reason for it is because Seattle being as geographically located where they are in the west that there's only only, you know what three big trips to the east coast this year for seattle uh you know i think that they're going to spread those out and, and so that is gonna that to me uh, would make some sense to send seattle to new york to play the giants in that very first game of, of the season and i think there's a really good chance it's going to be a road game in week one in part because with the odd numbered schedule yeah. the seahawks this year have an extra away game last year they had an extra home game so i think there's a good chance especially if the Mariners can get things going and they're going to be in the playoff race at that point, that could make some scheduling conflict stuff as well. So having a road game, you won't have to worry about that. There's another storyline that I think fits week one here, though. It's not the natural Russell Wilson revenge game, but the Detroit Lions helped the Seattle Seahawks get into the playoffs at the end of the season last year. And they had the same record as the Seahawks, the Lions believe that they are on the cusp of being one of the dominant teams in the NFC. They really like the young roster. They've got just missed the playoffs last year, but the chance to beat the Seahawks in week one in their home stadium, the team that they allowed to get in the playoffs last year by beating Green Bay, they're going to try to set the tone. And then Seattle's going to want to make a statement too that, hey, just because we snuck in the playoffs last year, that doesn't mean we're going to wilt away this year. And I just think it's two of the better up-and-coming teams in the NFC. And so I think Seahawks and the Lions in week one, I think is a very strong possibility. And it could be a potential rematch when we get to January, two teams that I think have a very good chance to make the postseason. So I think there's a lot of enticement with that potential matchup. Now, let's get to the primetime games and Seattle, under Pete Carroll, they have played in a lot of games under the lights in prime time. And last year, didn't have quite as many because, well, after the Russell Wilson game, the Seahawks were kind of expected to just fade away, and that's not what happened. I'm wondering if this year, with Geno Smith back under contract, the new draft class coming in, the expectations this team's going to be carrying, Rob, that there may be a few more time slots in the prime time for Seattle this year. Well, I, I think just the fact that, again, Seattle is a playoff team, um, you know, just on average, rough average over the last five years or so, and you look at AFC and NFC teams that were in the playoffs, um, you know, 
last couple of years, um, then they've averaged about three, uh, you know, primetime games per season, three to four, actually. And, you know, in Seattle, of course, has the, the rabid fan base that they do. I, I think that the NFL certainly appreciates that. So I, I feel like I'm actually being a little bit conservative here by, by saying three primetime games is my uh, prediction here. Um, and and I'm going to say that they're, they're going to be the games where the Seahawks host the, the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that's going to be obviously a, a big time game. And one that I think again kind of going with that revenge factor I'm fascinated to see what Rashad Penny might be able to do in Philadelphia so to me that might be a game that you know again for playoff implications just for um for the again that the revenge factor uh, I think that might be a a game that winds up being a a prime time one I think the Carolina Panthers as well um you know all of the hype uh, of course about the number one overall pick Bryce Young the the return uh, of Scott Fitterer to Seattle that that storyline if if the NFL views that as one, I think that might be something that's interesting there too. And then finally, against the Los Angeles Rams, I mentioned this before. I think that that might be a, a primetime game just because of the, uh, the, the, the obviously the, the playoff implications um, within the division, but also, again, just the return of Bobby Wagner to his hometown of, of Los Angeles after the, the one year uh, playing with the Rams. And looking at my primetime games, I actually agree with you on three, and maybe I am being conservative, but I still think that the national scene is going to sleep on the Seahawks a little bit, even though they made the playoffs last year. So I think three is going to be that solid number, and I've got two home games. I agree with you, the Eagles. I have a feeling that if the Seahawks meet expectations, and they're one of the better teams in the NFC, that that is going to be a game that the people in New York are going to want in primetime, two rabid fan bases two teams that have been really good for the past decade or so, win a lot of football games, consistently make the playoffs. Those are the kind of teams you want to market in those primetime slots. I think the game at Cincinnati, because you've got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all the talent sure. they've got, they've sure. been to the AFC Championship game a couple times. The opportunity to get that team at home against the Seahawks, who again have that national brand. They've got the fan base that travels well. That is another game that I could see being featured in prime time. And get to have the 49ers and Seahawks at Lumen Field. I feel like every year that that is a prime time matchup, and I expect it's going to happen again. It might even be your Thursday night game again, which has happened multiple times in the past five, six years. So I think that that's your other prime time slot. And this could go up to four or five with the changes they've made to the flexing, including the possibility you could play two Thursday night games, which still baffles my mind that they would allow that to happen. But the NFL is all about the bottom line, and that's a way to make money with better matchups on Thursday night football. Real quick, Rob, who do you think the Seahawks end the season with? I believe it's now four straight years they've had an NFC West opponent. I think you and I would agree that's probably not going to change this year. Yeah, exactly. I, I just think that uh, it is going to wind up being a, a, an NFC West opponent just because of the playoff considerations. And I already mentioned, uh, you know, against the 49ers, against the, the, the Rams previously, I think that the Cardinals would be a, a good game. Um, you know, just from, again, the geographic perspective, Seattle is going to be flying around uh, so much. I do think it's going to be one of the, the, the closer teams, uh, the Cardinals with the weather conditions and all that kind of stuff. I just think it makes for a, a kind of a, you know, Sorry to say it, but a, a soft landing for the Seahawks um, in in that type of environment to, to finish up the season. So to me, I think that's an ideal uh, landing spot for Seattle to finish up their regular season if that is indeed the case. 
And I think they're going to be going to San, uh, Santa Clara. I always want to say San Francisco, but the stadium's actually in Santa Clara because why not have the top two teams from the NFC West a year ago scheduled for week 18 in a game that could decide the division potentially. Those are the kind of games that the NFL wants at the end of the schedule. So 49ers for me, Cardinals for you. We'll see what happens when the schedule is released tomorrow. And we obviously will be breaking that down on an upcoming episode once we have all 17 games released by the league. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at Anthony Bradford, Seattle's fourth round pick out of LSU. What he brings to the table for Seattle's offensive line and his chances of potentially pushing for playing time early with the Seahawks. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of twists and turns and throw a few wrenches at you when you least expect it. So it's important to show yourself through it all and make sure you put a focus on your mental health. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you, and BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer for their listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash locked on. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in the middle of the country in Iowa or you're overseas in France. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers, we're going to be having an instant reaction tomorrow to the official schedule revealed by the NFL. We'll be looking at some of the most enticing games, the toughest part of the schedule, and much more. So you won't want to miss it on our Thursday episode. The Seahawks didn't do much with the trenches early in the 2023 NFL draft. They actually focused on skill positions, which surprised some people. But once they got to day three, Rob, they started to really attack the offensive and defensive line. And they started the festivities at pick 108, which they acquired in a trade down with the Denver Broncos. They used that pick to select another LSU offensive lineman. It feels like they draft one every couple years from Baton Rouge, and this time around is Anthony Bradford, the 334-pound mauler who originally grew up in Muskegon, Michigan, and then found his way down to Baton Rouge, plays that physical brand of football that the Seahawks love in the trenches. We didn't know if they were going to keep drafting guards like that, and yet Bradford had such an interesting athletic profile that it may not be a big deal that he's over 330 pounds. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I mean, he, he's 330 pounds. Um, he had, uh, I believe it was, what, 26 repetitions, uh, 225 pounds, despite having long arms. Uh, you know, he had, uh, I mentioned this before, I think it was 1.56, uh, you know, three cone time, or excuse me, 10-yard <laughs> split, 10-yard uh, split, which is an absolutely spectacular time for a big man. Um, and I know that sometimes people kind of scoff at the idea of, of uh, the 10 yard splits or the 40 yard dash times uh, for offensive linemen. I get that, but there are a lot of people who are very successful at this that very much subscribe uh, to the the belief um, that, that, that that is a test that, that 
shows the pure athletic ability that you need to have at the NFL level. Um, you know, and and the reality is, is that Bradford has that. Uh, th- this is a really uniquely built and and powerful man. Um, you mentioned the, the you know the transition from Muskegon, Michigan, all the way down to Baton Rouge and LSU. To me, that just kind of speaks to the who the young man is. Um, this is a guy who is willing to kind of challenge himself. He is willing to um, you know to to kind of you know, color outside the lines a little bit, um, you know, and, and I think that that, that that is something that the Seahawks have always prioritized. You talked about the fact that, again, Seattle going back to LSU. I mean, you know, they've, they've had some very good offensive linemen uh, the Seahawks have out of LSU. I mean, obviously Damian Lewis, but like one of my favorite offensive linemen the Seahawks have ever selected, going back all the way to Kevin Mawai, um, you know, but they, they those types of guys that play the LSU, I think it's them. It's just the mentality uh, of the SEC competition. It's the physicality and, and the you know the, the size, the, the explosive athletic ability that I see from Bradford. All of those are the things that believe that make me believe Corbin. That I, I think that Bradford could absolutely wind up challenging for uh, uh, challenging Phil Haynes as a starter as a rookie. I, I absolutely believe he has starting level potential moving forward. But at the same time, as excited as I'm about the talent. I mean, the, the scout in me just is, you know, exploding with, with how excited I am about this young man's talent. At the same time, it puts an awful lot of pressure on Andy Dickerson because when I see Anthony Bradford, I also see a player who is up and down. And so, uh, again, I, I'm emboldened by the success that Dickerson had a year ago. I mean, starting the two rookie offensive tackles, that was that was unbelievable, the success that Seattle had. Um, but at the same time, there is no doubt about it. Bradford is gifted, but at the same time, he's inconsistent. And, and so um, it, he's going to need some coaching up if, if he is going to be uh, a player that Seattle feels confident can be somebody that's going to be able to protect uh, Geno Smith well. And I think it's worth noting that this kid has not played a lot of snaps. He was not a starter his first two years at LSU. And one of those years, Damian Lewis was still on campus. And so – These two guys, they're good friends. They were teammates. They're now teammates again in Seattle, but he's had roadblocks in front of him. So I think that that is a positive because we are talking about a kid that is really up and down. But I think some of that inconsistency is just the fact that he hasn't played a lot. And I found this interesting because, and I'll put the numbers back up here for those of you that are watching on YouTube, but as far as pass protection goes, Anthony Bradford in many regards was a lower level pass protecting guard last year. At LSU, he ranked 198th in the country, giving up four sacks last year. Uh, Pro Football Focus gave him a 51.7 grade, which ranked 198th out of qualified guards as well. And so there are some concerns when he is not able to work in a phone booth and he's going against more athletic guys. You don't necessarily see the testing show up, but at the same time, he only gave up 12 pressures the entire season. That included a game that he gave up three when he had to go out to left tackle for a start against Tennessee. And we know some of the elite talent Tennessee has rushing off the edge. John Schneider was really impressed by that. Going back and watching the game, he had a rough start, but he really rebounded. You could see the resiliency and the grit, things the Seahawks are always looking for. The fact that he only gave up 12 pressures the entire season, Damian Lewis gave up 11 in his final season at LSU and gave up three sacks. So the numbers actually stack up pretty well. And you can see a lot of similar characteristics on the game film between those two guys. And so if you can get a similar player, and I think Bradford's got more athletic upside than what Damian Lewis did coming out of LSU. He was a more refined blocker. That's the difference. If you can get that consistency and that falls on Andy Dickerson, 
then I believe this guy has a chance to be a starter for a long time in the NFL. The real question is going to be, are they going to be able to get that out of him quick enough where he can actually push for playing time as a rookie? And I think he certainly can based on the film that I've watched. Yeah, I think they can. Um, again, it, you see a player that, um, you know, he has initial quickness, but then he kind of slows down. I think that he just, as you said, needs a little bit more playing time to uh, to be able to kind of locate his targets and, and make him play faster. Um, because right now he, uh, he he plays slower than uh, than his uh, than that split might suggest. Um, for those of you looking at watching on YouTube, and thank you for all of you who are either viewing or listening, um, as Corbin often says. Uh, but for those of you who are viewing watching on YouTube, you'll see that we have the depth chart here at, at guard. Uh, at the left guard position, we have Damian Lewis, and we're actually. Jake Curran, of course, is a player that does have some guard experience, but he is primarily played tackle both at uh, in Seattle and uh, previously at Cal. Um, but he, we are projecting as Seattle's left guard candidate right now. Right guard, Phil Haynes is the projected starter, but again, the aforementioned Anthony Bradford is there. Um, and to me, that it's, that's one of the fascinating conversations we have to have here, Corbin, because again, what would Jake Curran as your projected left guard, and that's a guy who is more experienced at the tackle position, uh, you know, Evan Brown has some experience at center as well as guard, whereas Oluwatimi, the, the, the guard that you or the center that you just drafted out of Michigan, he was purely a center um, you know, during his college career. So um, this is a spot where Seattle just doesn't have very many bodies. Um, and, and so while there's a great deal of talent, um, at the same time, it's also one that you got to kind of hope, you know, cross your fingers and hope that they don't have any type of, of uh, issues injury-wise, uh, you know, throughout the summer and obviously throughout camp and into the season. I'm glad you mentioned Evan Brown because that's the one asterisk here. He is going to be your starting center going into training camp, but Oluwatimi is going to get the chance to win that job as a fifth-round pick with over 3,500 reps at center at the college level. He's going to be coming in well-seasoned for a college player going to the league. So he's going to get every opportunity to win that job. And if he does, I think Evan Brown becomes that swing guard, and he might even be your starting right guard. He potentially could be the – they want to have him in the lineup. He might beat out Phil Haynes and Anthony Bradford. So we aren't listing him on the depth chart right now because he's number one at the center position. But I think that that is still a possibility if Oluwatimi wins the center job that Brown could end up playing either one of the guard spots. I would assume right guard. They're not going to be swinging Damian Lewis back over to that side. He's gotten comfortable now at left guard. But they don't have a ton of depth, and there's a lot of uncertainty at that right guard spot because Phil Haynes has only started a couple games in four years in the NFL. It's not like he has a ton of experience. He played quite a bit last year as a rotational blocker, but he's not been a starter more than a handful of games in the league. He doesn't have much more starting experience than Bradford's coming into the league with. So I think that both the center and right guard spots are wide open competitions, and it does present the opportunity if Bradford can latch onto the scheme and he really takes to the coaching from Andy Dickerson and he's able to figure out some of the technical stuff, which is going to help with his consistency. If you're able to get that package together, there's a really good chance that he can push Phil Haynes on day one, just as Damian Lewis did to get the left guard job, and he started in week one for the Seahawks. You have another LSU guy starting there that was recruited by Ed Ordron, and I think that's something else is worth noting because we know the relationship that Pete Carroll has with Ed Ordron. He likes players that Ed Ordron has on his team. So it's fitting that they made this selection. What we'll to see what happens as this offseason unfolds on the practice field, Bradford will get the opportunity eventually when the Pats come on 
to show off that physicality and try to win that starting job. Coming up next, Daniel Monroe of Locked On Bulldogs is going to be joining us, taking a vacation from being on Locked On Eagles where he's had to cover like 18 draft picks during this cycle. He's going to be chatting with us about Kenny McIntosh and maybe a little bit about Jalen Carter falling past number five in Seattle's decision not to select him with their top five draft pick. We'll get to that coming up next year on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. As we continue our NFL Draft Roundtable, glad to have Daniel Monroe of Locked On Bulldogs joining us. And Daniel, I know that it's kind of a breath of fresh air being on any other NFL podcast aside from the Eagles who have basically drafted 50 Georgia players the last two years yeah I mean it's the the Eagles are clearly trying to replicate what Kirby Smart is doing in Athens but uh, I think a bunch of other teams it's hard not to draft Georgia players to be honest with you and so uh, the Seahawks are no different Um, ended up with Kenny Mack who we'll talk about who I absolutely love but a lot of teams are a lot of teams are taking Georgia players which is which means we must be doing something right Before we get to Kenny McIntosh, who I was really excited that Seattle got him in the seventh round, I want to talk about the Georgia player that the Seahawks decided not to pick because there's been a lot of fans that have still been really confused why John Schneider and Pete Carroll decided to bypass on Jalen Carter when that was clearly the biggest position of need on their roster and when his head's on straight, arguably the most talented player in this draft class, What did you think of the fact the Seahawks and a bunch of other teams allowed Jalen Carter to fall to number 10 uh, or number nine before the Eagles stopped his fall? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was – it's hard to – it sounds like a confusing answer. I was surprised and not surprised at the same time. I'll explain. I was was not surprised because – this is the kind of thing that happens in the NFL. NFL GMs, and I say it all the time, NFL GMs are under such pressure, such immense pressure on draft night, that they fall into the trap of overanalyzation paralysis more so than I think any other person in any other job ever does. You you see it every draft where you just are we are meticulously breaking down the size of people's fingers instead of just turning on tape of them playing football and saying these are good football players and these are less good football players. And so I'm not surprised to see a guy like Jalen Carter fall. Obviously he had a lot of offseason drama since the national championship game was involved in that uh, that horrible tragic accident that happened in Athens, um, uh, you know, hours after the the championship parade and all that stuff, well documented, and you know, a lot of things you you know you read about his you know people concerned about his character. You even mentioned like when his head's on straight is one of the best defensive players in the draft. I think. That's to me, that's the confusing part of the whole thing because I watched every game Jalen Carter played in college and I watched them with a very careful eye and I watched them from beginning to end. And there was never one moment of football when his head seemed to be out of the game. He wasn't that type of player. Sometimes you get these star players that 
will will kind of take a playoff or will you know rest themselves a little bit or won't chase a ball down if when it goes to the outside or what that just never was Jalen Carter never never even a whiff of that and so I think a lot of the criticism of and we'll see I think a lot of the criticism of him was just uh, a little bit made up and so if I'm a Seahawks fan I would be pretty upset Albeit, I'm a very biased source that you're asking here, but I think Jalen Carter was the best defensive player in the draft with no exception. And you say it's the best, biggest position of need on the defense. That's tough to pass on that guy, I think, unless you're really confident that he's some sort of a bad egg. And so maybe Pete Carroll's right, and he is a bad egg, and that will end up being a good decision. I think and I don't know that wise, necessarily yeah. with all that went into it, they loved Devin Witherspoon. And I sure. heard that several weeks ago. And I can see why you would like Devin Witherspoon. He's a great player. He's a great player. Great player. just fits what the Seahawks are looking for. So Absolutely. time will tell if they time make the tell. right decision on that yep. front. But they didn't get out of the draft with their 10 picks without selecting a Georgia player. And Josh Schneider talked to us about this immediately after the draft. I don't know that I've ever heard a player get more emotional than what Kenny McIntosh did talking to reporters, how upset that he was that he had fallen to the middle of the seventh round. I had him as my number five running back in this deep class. I thought he would be gone on day two, potentially. And yep. Seattle gets him in the middle of the seventh round. How much did that catch you off guard that – McIntosh, I know he never was a thousand yard rusher, but the receiving numbers he put up and how important he was to that offense last year, best team in the country. How much did that catch you off guard that he fell that far? The steal of the draft. Period. Absolutely. What caught me off guard was that I forgot he hadn't been drafted yet. Like when, when I saw the Seahawks picked him late on day three, as you mentioned, seventh round, I had to go back and say, wait a minute. He, somebody already drafted him, right? Like I, I couldn't believe that. Like I had just my mind had blanked and I hadn't seen his name called. I wasn't even thinking about it, because I agreed with you. I thought he would go. He, he is, he's a better back than that. And you're right. It is a deep class of running backs, and sometimes I think guys just get overlooked. He was emotional, and it was, it was really, it was really fun to watch. But I'm telling you this right now. Like Georgia had a couple of years ago, Tay Crowder. Was the he was Mister Irrelevant? The last pick in the draft came from Georgia, went to the Giants, and he ended up. You know, I think a year and a half later, he was starting for the New York Giants after being the 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 very last pick in the seventh round of the NFL draft. That's the type of that's the type of seventh rounder I think that Kenny McIntosh has a chance to be. Like I'm not I'm not saying he's going to come in and start for the Seahawks this year at tailback, but this is not a seventh round guy. For Seahawks fans out there, this is a guy that you can legitimately get excited about because he brings the type of versatility, I think, that every NFL play caller and offensive coordinator and offensive mind is looking for out of the running back position. He can absolutely run the ball. He can absolutely pass protect. And he had, and this is not an exaggeration, he had, I think, the best hands on Georgia's team for his entire college career. And that includes guys like George Pickens, who is now, you know, lighting it up with the Pittsburgh Steelers and guys like this year, like Brock Bowers, the the kind of freak tight end that that plays for Georgia. 
Kenny Mack's hands are soft. He catches everything that's thrown at him. He made some unbelievable one-handed catches on the sideline on wheel routes. So his his versatility and the way that he impacts the passing game, in addition to his ability to run and pass protect, is going to make him, uh, I think, a, a real fan favorite very quickly for the Seahawks. I had to laugh when we were interviewing him immediately after he found out that he was drafted and with all that emotion, the first couple minutes he was so downtrodden, so frustrated, was in tears. And then we started asking him about his strengths and what he is best at. And then he immediately turned into Mr. Confidence and and made sure to tell me, hey, you can put me wherever you want. What do you want, OC, as his response? And I just absolutely loved that confidence. And it's interesting because the Seahawks have Ken Walker III, who was the runner-up for Offensive Rookie of the Year. They drafted Zach Charbonnet in the second round. Yep. And Charbonnet was a player that I had a little bit ahead of McIntosh, but they were fairly similarly graded for this year's running back class. So looking at the fact they have those two other backs – where do you think Seattle can maximize his value with the fact they have two other guys that are really good ball carriers as well? Where do you see him fitting in with this Seahawks offense and maximizing on his skill set? Absolutely. And I think it depends on what you want to do with him. I think it depends on how those other backs, you know, how they kind of grade out in camp as the office, you know, because all these draft grades go away. And once then, you know, once the OC gets a look at these guys, he's going to make his own grades and he's going to make his own determinations about who does what better than who. And so I think you could do any number of things. I think you could play him in the slot. I think you can run him in a two back type of look. Um, if, if that's something that, you know, that not a lot of NFL teams are running two back like these days, but if you wanted to do that mix it up that way, you absolutely can. You can use them on third down. As I said, He's, he's great against the pass. You can't play for Kirby Smart if you can't block at an elite level, and he is able to do that, pick up protections. You know, Stetson Bennett was only touched eight times last year when dropping back for a pass, and so uh, he, he, can, he can protect the passer. He can catch the ball. He can carry the ball, um, but I think it's that – it's that versatility and and that how dynamic he is in every phase of the game that's going to that's going to get him on the field and then i think once he gets on the field that's the thing as you mentioned the other backs that the Seahawks had um you know 2 years ago it it was it was Zamir White and it was James Cook both of which are are NFL backs right now Zamir's on the Raiders and James Cook is on the Bills um, those were the two guys that were supposed to get all the carries. And yet, as the season progressed, you just couldn't keep Kenny McIntosh off the field. And then last season, it was supposed to be Kendall Milton, who's this five-star. He's still at Georgia this year, but he'll be out in next year's draft. And this five-star talent that's just sort of had his, these crazy high school numbers and was just this prototypical SEC running back, he's supposed to be the guy that kind of comes in and takes over and does everything. And yet, you couldn't keep Kenny McIntosh off the field. He's too good. He's too versatile, and I think that confidence that you heard from him once you start talking about football, I think that confidence carries over onto the way he carries himself on the field, and he just there's no play that he doesn't feel like he can make. And so if it's in the passing game, I think great. If it's in the run game, great. I think if it's in the in just in the pass protection game, if you need him to pick up a blitzer and then be a, a, a great, you know, uh, you know, escape hatch or leak out of the backfield safety valve for the quarterback, you know, on, on some more downfield design plays. Kenny Mack can do all that. 
Sounds to me like a prototypical modern-day third-down back, which the Seahawks could certainly use a player sure. that can fill that void. And Charbonnet can be their short yardage, change of pace guy, and then Ken Walker III can still be your feature back. And that's assuming you keep everybody healthy. This gives them a ton of insurance. Yeah. But I know one thing. There's tons of uncertainty with draft picks. But I know one thing. We are going to see a boulder on this kid's shoulder after he fell in the seventh round. And so oh, he might yeah. be the draft pick that I'm most intrigued to see once the Seahawks get onto the field here for the rookie minicamp this next weekend. A special thanks to Daniel for joining the show. We greatly appreciate it and of course. enjoy covering Georgia this year. Obviously, they just retool year in, year out. Even with all the guys they said drafted, they're going to be right in the mix competing for a national title. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun to uh, cover the dogs. And so, um, uh, yeah, if you want a preview of some of the guys the Seahawks might be drafting next year, feel free to tune in uh, to the Lockdown Bulldogs podcast. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube and other platforms to make sure you don't miss a single episode coming up on our thursday show we're gonna have an instant reaction to the release 2023 schedule looking at the most intriguing games maybe the most challenging stretches on seattle's 2023 schedule and much more you won't want to miss it thanks for listening in go hawks